You are about to hear a message from one of our worship services at Rescue Church, located in West New York, New Jersey. If you'd like to visit or learn more about us, please check out www.rescuechurch.tv. Um, I feel like the Lord really wants to speak to somebody today, and I know that because my Wi-Fi went out last night while I was trying to prepare this message, um, and there's a lot of other different things, but um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about intimacy and awareness following the healing series, and um, I'll start by saying... What is, what is intimacy? Intimacy is a few different things, but it's deep knowing, love, it's personal, it's a vital union with Christ, it's, it's the presence of God, it's communal. Interesting. What that means is it's expressed in community. It's not a, like a surgical bubble type of intimacy, it's, it's a shared expression of love. Um, intimacy is simply knowing God and letting God know you. It doesn't mean that you are perfect and it is not measured in performance. Amen. So we're going to do a lot of Bible reading today. Um, we're going to go into Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And it is when Jesus walks on the sea. So the context of this is that Jesus had just fed 5,000, the the crowd of 5,000, and he sends the disciples away. So let's read. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he came up, he, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, by himself. He got away by himself to pray so that he could commune again with the Father. And that is where he found his strength. When he had sent, um, so he went by to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. <laughs> Jesus was alone. <laughs> He, and he's got like 10,000 people waiting for him soon, very soon. But he, he's just getting away from people so that he can get alone with God. And I feel that is a really important part of intimacy. And we're, by the way, we're going to be looking at um, Peter's relationship with Jesus. But I also want you to see um, what Jesus does with Peter. Okay, so moving on. Now... When evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, or the wind was against them. Verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So the fourth watch of the night is around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I feel like Jesus has a really... Funny, funny personality here. And this story, I love this story because there's so many layers to it. Um, but Jesus, so Jesus was alone on the mountain, right, to pray. And he sent the disciples away. He said, go to the other side of the, the lake. And 
in the middle of the night, they're still there and they're in this storm that Jesus told them to go through. And he, he just decides, let me, let me go walk up to them on the water <laughs> in the middle of the storm, okay? So um, where are we? All right, 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. What would you do <laughs> if you saw a silhouette of a person? Um, yeah, so immediately, but immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter understood that if Jesus commanded it, it would be done. In this moment, he trusted in the word of Jesus. He had seen Jesus do miracles, and he had just seen Jesus multiply bread. Like, what is it um, here? It's five loaves and two fish. He just saw Jesus multiply five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. And he, he may have, in this moment, being Peter, he might have wanted to take it to the next level, on a personal level. <laughs> he might have been like, Jesus, if you tell me to go, I'll go. Because he knew that if Jesus told him to go, it would be done. Yeah. So Peter's very interesting, okay? V verse 29. Um, he, so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out saying, God, uh, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Then those who are in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So just remember that in this situation, the disciples were out there because Jesus told them to as a collective. And they were out there in obedience. And sometimes we think that if Jesus told us to do something, it's going to go smoothly. But Jesus just sent the disciples straight into the storm. And, Jesus, and, and Peter wanted to, to experience Jesus in a new way. So, you know, what, he, what did he do? He called out, he asked Jesus to call him. And he did. But what happened? Doubt came over Peter. And he started to, whatever was in him started to come out. And he started to sink. There was something in Peter that caused him to look away from Jesus and focus on the outer surroundings. And if we take this in a more metaphorical way, you know, this was a very physical experience, but there are things in our lives where yep. we are in a storm yep. and things get, you know, it just gets crazy. It just, and it's like, it could be totally normal. Like normal as in, it's just life. This happens in life. Things get busy, we get busy, there's a lot of distractions, but what, what will come out of you in that situation? Is it 
faith? Is it doubt? Is it anxiety? And those are the things that we need to go after. So those, so, but, but the thing is that Jesus caught him. He caught him. He, 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 got, he has you. He's got you. Even though you're trying your best to, to walk in a supernatural way, even when you get distracted, even when you fall, even when you start to sink, he's got you. And so we have confidence that he has us. Another thing here is that Jesus, Jesus, oh, got to go to the next slide. Lord, save me. Jesus caught him, right? So, <clears throat> ah, what did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus will always yep. confront you. He will put a finger on things right. that come out right. when you're when you're pressed. That's right. So we're gonna look at the same story in Mark, right? <laughs> um, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'm just gonna read what it says after this whole interaction. Okay, Mark 6, verse 50, let's go to 51. So he says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Again, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. The disciples still had a hard time understanding the miracle that just happened. And then Peter's walking on water. Right? <laughs> they did not understand that Jesus had just multiplied bread. Because why? Because their hearts were hardened. That's right. And so that's another thing. That's another thing that we need to watch out for. What are we believing in? Are we letting the truth get into our, into our mind and our understanding? Or are we going to just walk past and, and not understand the supernatural that's happening right in front of our faces? And that's part of intimacy. It's recognizing Jesus, recognizing who he, who he is and what he is doing and what he is saying. Touch Jesus. The more we interact with the pure Jesus, the more we become pure. And that's going to be in the next passage right here in Matthew 14, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they had come to, they came to the land of Genesaret. Do you guys remember what, where Genesaret was? It's where the demonized man was. It was where the man who couldn't be held down by handcuffs, basically. And, and Jesus set him free. And you know what they did? The people of that town did after Jesus set the man free from a legion of demons. They kicked him out. They were like, please leave. Please. They begged him to leave. But here we see 
Then the men of that place recognized him. They sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him not to leave, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. The more we interact with pure Jesus, the more we become pure. Religion says that our issues are not important enough to matter, or they're too big for God. And Malachi 4.2 says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Here, this whole, all the, all the sick people that needed healing, they just touched the hem of his garment and they were healed because they came into contact with the real Jesus. And now we're going to see a shift here in the next passage where we're dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. <clears throat> then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And then I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus basically says, why, why follow this commandment according to your tradition? You're just going to do what you want to do. You're going to shift, you're going to change the commandment so that it could fit your tradition or what you think is right. It says, Isaiah prophesied saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to him, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them be alone. They are blind leaders leading the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, the blind, both will fall into the ditch. So Jesus, there's like a theme going on right now of, of bread and cleanliness and healing. Jesus just fed the 5,000. There's a miracle with Peter. And then Jesus enters this village where people are sick and they need healing. And they touch Jesus and they become clean and they become healed. And right after, Jesus is confronted by a bunch of religious leaders who are saying, why do your disciples not wash their hands when they eat? And so they're concerned with this very surface level physical um, standard of eating when Jesus actually wants to deal with your heart. Jesus wants to deal with their heart. But they don't understand because of religion. 
Religion will always block what intimacy wants to give you, give freedom for you. Um, where is this? So fast forward to Matthew 16. We're going somewhere with this. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Sorry, uh, 5 to 12. Right before this, the Pharisees and Sadducees demand Jesus to give them a sign. But, they, but Jesus has been doing signs this whole time. He's been feeding multitudes of people. He's been healing people. And he just healed another multitude of people right before that. And this, the Pharisees are asking for a sign. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to him, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among them, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. So the disciples are still thinking about the bread and still thinking that Jesus is talking about the bread. But Jesus is actually talking about a heart condition. But, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you that... How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware, to, to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven, so what leaven is, is um, it's yeast. It's like if you have like a starter dough, like a, like if you're making sourdough, it's um, it helps it helps the bread rise. So when Jesus is talking about leaven, it's if if we could contextualize it to today, it's yeast. And so what yeast does is when you rest the dough of the bread, and it, it's like this size, it becomes like this size. It rises, and it gets bigger. So Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is religion and unbelief. <clears throat> and it's interesting because what, what um, yeast does is that it makes it seem like the bread increased in size, like it, the, the mass itself that it, it had multiplied somehow. But what Jesus did is he actually, he actually multiplied the bread. He didn't make it seem like he multiplied the bread. He actually did by faith. And what, what, the, what the leaven does is that it makes you think that you're bigger than you actually are. Okay, so religion and unbelief yields blindness. And Jesus talks about that all throughout, especially when he's talking about religious rulers because they claim that they see, but they are blind. And it's not like the physical vision, but it's how, are, how aware are they of themselves and of their heart. 
religion is an idolatry of self. Yep. It makes yep. the rules so that you are always right. Yep. Yep. Religion inflates yourself. Religion wants you to keep things on the surface. And this is what we've been dealing with the whole time. The, the leader, the religious leaders are always right and Jesus is wrong. Religion inflates yourself. They're, they're making themselves more important than they actually are. And religion is always talking about the surface level, but Jesus wants to go deeper. Jesus wants to go deeper. So now we're going to look at Peter's confession. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He used his, his whole name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the, ga the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I love that Jesus made room for this dialogue because it shows the humility of Jesus. He didn't need to ask them who do you say I am? And I don't think he was, I don't think he didn't know either because he, he is an all know, he is all knowing God. But I think he would, he wanted to open the dialogue. He wanted to get a check on what, what these guys have been following me. I wonder like, what do, what do they, what do they say I am? Who do they say I am? And Peter, Peter is the one who says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the living Son of God. And Jesus blesses him, his whole name, and says, Blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And intimate, uh, Peter, Peter has a special relationship with Jesus because he is going to be the first one to act out. <laughs> and I love, I love Peter because he's either 100% correct or 100% wrong. That's right. But he's going to be the first one to be, to be right or wrong. Something. He's going to be, yeah, he's, he just steps forward. And I love that because it gives room for Jesus to correct him or to affirm him. Yep. And here we see that Jesus is affirming him. And he actually says that it's the Father that, made this, that gave him this revelation. Intimacy 
makes room for revelation. And Peter became aware of the nature of Jesus. When we draw near to the Father, things light up because he's the Father of lights in, John's, in, John, in James 1.17. It says in Job 12.22, he reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light. When we draw near to him, there's revelation. Matthew 13, 11 to 12 also says, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to him it has not been, it has not been given. For whoever has it, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even when he has, even what he has will be taken away from him. And what Jesus is talking about here is about revelation. And it's how do you steward revelation? When you come into contact with, with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and they reveal truth to you, how do you respond? And depending on that response is whether he gives you more or takes away. Intimacy gives you correct vision. Right. It gives you the, it, it shines light on things and it reveals truth. Intimacy will set you free, but religion will keep you in bondage because intimacy will give you vision and religion will keep you in blindness. So Jesus also says to Peter, I also say to you that you're Peter. So before he says, you are Simon, son of Jonah. But now he says, you are Peter, yep. which, is, which means rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. <clears throat> Jesus, I think Jesus is talking not about literally Peter, that he's going to build his church on Peter, but it's the rock of truth, the, the solid truth, the confession of truth that Jesus is going to build his church on. And it's the agreement with truth. So what Peter did here was that he, his confession was what was revealed, he agreed with, and he spoke it. And that is the foundation of the truth, and that's the foundation of the church. And in Ephesians 2.20, it says, Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And in Psalm 118, it says, The stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. And do you know what the cornerstone is? It is a thing that everything else is built upon. That's right. If you take that out, the entire building will fall apart. Yep. And so Jesus, being the chief cornerstone, he is the chief stone of truth. And the apostles are building upon him in truth, in agreement with truth, with the revelation of truth, and with the spoken word of truth. And I love that Jesus had so much confidence in Peter that he would call him rock that he would call him solid. Yeah. 
because he's like this. <laughs> he's like he's like up and down and chopping people's ears off and saying things that he won't do. But Jesus has confidence in Peter. And the reason I love Peter so much is that if Jesus has confidence in Peter, he has confidence in you. you he has confidence in us. He has confidence to call out what he had spoken over us when we were before we were in our mother, mother's womb. Yep. He will call that out of you. Yep. And he has full confidence that it will come to fruition. Yes. Peter has a win here, but in the next passage, it's a loss. <laughs> it's a big L. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Man, G Peter just said, Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus is like, yeah, my father told you. And now Peter is saying, you're not, you cannot die. And now Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. He, he's not Simon. He's not Peter anymore. He's Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you, Peter? <laughs> Who are we dealing with today? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason why Peter was not in agreement with him is because his mind was not yet renewed. Peter here was still thinking, that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of Israel, but Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And the only way to heaven is death. For whoever desires, this is in the next few verses, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peter still thinks that, Jesus, we're going to go to war. We're going to... We're going to take over. We're going to overthrow Rome and liberate Israel. But Jesus is talking, right? We're talking about religion again on the surface. But Jesus wants to liberate us in our souls. Jesus wants to liberate the whole world. And Peter, Peter is still gung-ho, but Jesus is like, we got to go low. We're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. If you're going to Jesus and you're constantly right, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong. If you're constantly in the seat of judgment, if you're constantly in the seat of righteousness, because when you come in contact with Jesus, he's going he's gonna to speak the truth. He's going to confront you, yes, and it's in love. Yes, Right? When, when, when Jesus was on the water, he still had him. He still stretched out his hand and, and, and took Peter by the hand and, and caught him. But there will be a confrontation. And that is the awareness. 
that comes through intimacy. That is the awareness that comes through interacting with Jesus on a personal level. When God speaks, it is firm but tender. When the devil speaks, it's confusing and self-absorbed. When God speaks, it is convicting and specific. Excellent. When the devil speaks, it's condemning and vague. Excellent. And so we need to learn how to discern what voice is speaking. Excellent. Because when we come, when we, you know, when we're doing life, we got to know who's speaking to us. Because Jesus will want to confront something, and the devil will want to condemn something. Yep. Breakfast by the sea. Before I talk about that, um, let's let's go over Peter's story again, right? He's walking on water. He's confessing Jesus' sonship that was revealed to him by the Father. He gets rebuked, and then he gets his foot washed in John 13. And then you know what he says? He he first says, Jesus, no, you cannot wash my feet because that was a job for the lowest of lows. And then when Jesus explains to him the need to wash his feet, Peter says, wash my whole body. Wash my whole body. And Jesus says, that's not necessary, Peter. <laughs> it's not necessary. And then he says, I will never stumble. I will never leave you. And he slices the guard's ear off. And then Jesus says, when the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Oh, and then he, and then he sliced the, the guard's ear off. <clears throat> and then in the next chapter, Judas hangs himself because of shame. And the end of shame, as Pastor said this past Sunday, the, the end of shame is death. So when Peter, when, when Peter heard the rooster crow, I can just imagine the shame, the feeling of failure, sorrow, grief, so many things. But I think he needed that because he needed to realize that he needed Jesus. Because this whole time, he's been do doing things on his own strength. He's been doing things on his own accord. But he needed to come to the end of himself to recognize that he had a need for Jesus and that the only way to the kingdom is through that need with Jesus, is through Jesus. And here, um, and here um, in John 21, so Jesus is crucified, and Peter is just going back to his old life and probably feeling sorry for himself and just coping, going back to his old ways of coping. And he's, in the, he's at sea. Chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, 
Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing, or I'm going to work out, or I'm going to go on Netflix. Yeah, something. He needed to do something. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had, come, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So this whole scene is actually like deja vu moment for the disciples because that's how Jesus called them in the first in in the beginning and it's like Jesus is it I don't know what he's doing I think he's um, he's touching their hearts in a way that they can understand he's reaching them in a way that that he did in the beginning at first um, and he said to them, cast an eye on the Okay. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land. But <laughs> Peter's the first one out of the boat. But about 200 cubits dragging with the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to him, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of them dared None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus is so loving. He makes them breakfast, and he wants to feed them. Yep. And... Um, <clears throat> Jesus cares about you. <laughs> Jesus cares about your soul, but he also cares about your physical body. And we see that here, that Jesus is, is, is sitting in a fire. It says, a fire of coals. And in scripture, when fire of coals come up, that, actually, that usually has to do with purif purification or uh, consecrating. And... Um, this whole moment here with the disciples and with Peter is, is like, he, he, he's consecrating them for their ministry. He is, it's just, it's just a, a moment of intimacy with them. <clears throat> so Jesus, Jesus restores Peter. So verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to 
him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked, he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So this whole interaction with Jesus and Peter is flashback to when he denied Jesus three times. Peter, um, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? Three times. And it was the three times that he denied Jesus. When, when Peter denied Jesus, he was made aware of the weakness. Yep. And now he's, he's answering Jesus with so much humility now. And so, and um, yes. what Jesus says to him is, is not, um, it's not like, it's okay now. It's, it's an action. It's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you're, now you're ready. Even though you just failed, mm -hmm. now you're ready. Because you understand that you have a need for me. You know that you cannot do it on your own strength anymore. And this death that Jesus says that Peter is going to die of, um, it's not out with swords. It's not fighting. It's him on a cross, upside down. Not, not by his own will. It says, "Not uh, where you do not wish." And so this kind of death is a death that Peter would have never even imagined doing. Yep. Yep. But it happens. And he, and Jesus says, "Follow me." There is a cost for intimacy, and. The cost in Peter's case is uh, crucifixion and martyrdom. But I think the cost for us is really coming face to face with the truth. And, and you know, I don't know what it is with all of you, but there is a, a cost for everyone mm -hmm. to follow Jesus. And that is what makes it real and what makes it deep. Yes. When we come into in when we interact with the truth, there is either correction or revelation. And how we respond, are we going to respond with humility or shame?
Humility will lead you to the rest of the steps, but shame is just going to lead you to death or uh, separation, um, distance, division, and you will never be able to change. But when you respond with humility, there's repentance or changing your thinking. And it's coming into agreement with the truth. And then there's an action. There's, an a there's always an action step with revelation or correction or something. Something that you need to fix, something that you need to come into agreement to break the power of lies. Intimacy is always expressed in relationship. It's not expressed in like, it's, it, you don't have intimacy with a stranger. You have intimacy with a friend, you have intimacy with a spouse, you have intimacy with family, and we have intimacy with God. Um, in the garden, right, there was perfect unity It starts with the Trinity. It starts with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have perfect union. They have perfect unity. And what, what happened? Intimacy always gives birth to life. Yep. So they created, God created a place. God created a place and a people that they can dwell with. And they... God created man and God created woman and they were there in perfect intimacy where they dwelled together. And this was broken with what, what? We know this story. It was broken with a lie. It was broken with the disobedience. And that caused, that there was a problem right there. That, that was a problem. The problem was that where there is a lack of intimacy, there's a lack of awareness. Where there is a lack of intimacy, there's a lack of love. And, and um, how do I put this? When Eve listened to the voice, right? The voice of confusion, the voice of self-absorption, she became unaware of the voice of truth. And she became, there was a lack of intimacy there. There was a lack of awareness of God's voice. And so that led, them, that led her to take a piece of the fruit and it led her to go to her husband and say, you need to take a piece of this fruit now. And in Adam, Adam should have, Adam should have caught that. Adam should have caught that because he was the one talking to God. Yep. He was the one who was made first. And there was a lack of intimacy there, and he was unaware. And I think that is another trap that we can fall into. We need to be aware of his, pres of his absence. We need to be aware of when he's not there. Because that is the space that you allow for the voice of the enemy to speak of the father of lies instead of the father of lights. Intimacy is always about commitment. 
It's the day-to-day, -day and it's, it's not that exciting, right? We see that in our life, like <laughs> our marriage or, you know, relationships. It's, it's not that exciting. But for some reason, we want to make life with God exciting. Like, it can be, but on the day-to-day, -day, it's, it's not that exciting. <laughs> but it's a choice to keep your heart open. It's a, it's a choice to keep your heart and mind open to letting Jesus speak to you. It's not really, it's not really about feelings. Intimacy is not really about feelings, but it makes you feel good. But it's more about, <laughs> it's more about your relationship with truth. Truth will make you want to see, oh, truth will make you see things that you don't want to see. Truth will make you confront things that you don't want to confront. Truth will say something to you that you might not like. The question is, what is your relationship with truth? And that is the limit of how much truth you can take. What, what is the limit of how much truth you can take? That will define your limitation of intimacy with Jesus. Because truth is a person. Jesus is truth. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is fully committed to you. The question is, are you fully committed to him? How fully committed are you to the truth? And how you respond to truth will determine how deep you can go with Jesus. Truth is involved here because you have to trust that he will keep you. Oh, sorry. Trust is, trust is necessary because you need to trust that he will keep you. In Proverbs 23, it says that your, your rod, I delight in your rod and your, and your what is it? Staff. Staff. Your, your rod and your staff comfort me. What does that mean? It means that you, he, you're going to trust that he's going to protect you from wolves, from the enemy, from bears. And that thing is meant to be smacked, the end of it, right? But the other end of it, the curved, the cane part, is the one that goes around the sheep to make you come back. And that's not really that comfortable. Have you ever had somebody, like, pull you by the neck? Yeah, it hurts, but where the head, if you, do, if you do like MMA or anything, you know that the, where the head goes, the body follows. And so you got to trust that Jesus will protect you and also keep you. The big toe. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure to keep to, of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal, not fluffy. Wrap it up carefully, run the hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up in a safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, and the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love and intimacy is hell. 
The question is, what is, let's say it again, what is your relationship with truth? Can you handle truth? And what is the limit of how much truth you can take? That will be your limitation of intimacy with Jesus. Recently, I wasn't going to share this because of time, but I feel like I should. But recently, I was listening to something. Um, it was, this was like this past week, like a few, two days ago. I was listening to something completely unrelated to anything, and there was a phrase that came out, that popped out. And the phrase made me think like, hmm, that, that kind of like, that kind of rungs, hit something there. And the phrase was something like, trauma is held in the body. And I just, you know, I was, it, because it stuck out to me, I just asked God, God, do I have any trauma that I have undealt with? And I, f I feel like I've gone through a lot. And so, but I'm just asking because you never know. Yes. Right? Good, good. There's always more. There's always more that God wants to go deeper in. Good job. And this memory came to my mind of my family over 10 years ago, we were going through really something really difficult, really traumatic. And um, I had a memory of my 11-year-old self sitting on the staircase, like having almost like a panic attack and, we, and crying, uh, hysterically crying, because I think deep inside I wanted somebody to comfort me. And you know what happened? I'm not going to share names, but somebody in my family, because I haven't asked them for permission, but somebody in my family was like, shut up, go somewhere else and cry. And then something in me shut down. Wow. And I, had to, I went to my room, and then <laughs> this part I did process because I remembered it. The other, this, just before what I shared, I did not remember it. What's his name? <laughs> <clears throat> not going to answer that. Oh. <laughs> um, I went to the bathroom and called my best friend at the time and told her what happened, and she thought I was joking. She thought I was pranking her, and I was like, no one believes me. No one cares. So I had to deal with that, but I thought I dealt with it. I, I thought I dealt with the whole situation, but there was just a little memory that had flown under the radar. But it's how, when, when something comes to your mind, like don't deny it. Don't let it go. Ask why. I think the most powerful question in relationship with Jesus is why? Why, God? Why? Why am I feeling this way? What am I believing? When did it happen? Just ask questions because he will reveal it to you. How does intimacy lead you to awareness? It lets God see you. It lets you see God. It lets others see you and lets you see others correctly. Oh, I can send it to you. <laughs> I already talked about this. Kind of went off script. 
Intimacy comes through hunger or pursuing. It comes through rest. Matthew 11, it says, those who are weary, come and, come and rest. Right? You guys know that verse? The verse is actually in the context of revelation of who Jesus is. Yes. So the revelation of Jesus gives you rest. It comes through obedience, it comes through trust, vulnerability, inquiring, asking why, and it comes through worship. And not just, yes, this type of worship, but also, God, I completely surrender to you. I'm completely submitted to you, that's worship. So this question is a hard question to ask. But I think because Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? I think that we should also take a position of humility and ask other people about who, who we are or how we are doing. And so I'm not going to have you guys ask this now in this setting because I think you should ask a close friend someone a little more mature than you, someone you've known at least for two years, yep. uh, a trusted leader or a mentor. What is one area of my life that I can work on? What is an area of my life that I'm doing well in? Excellent. And I think after you hear that, you should take it right back to the Lord. Hmm. Because, yeah, you should, you should pray about it. Um, and if someone asks you that question, ask God for his heart for that person and what he wants to say. It's not an opportunity for you to unload on them. <laughs> Answer with grace, truth, and love. So I want to also, I have a bunch of questions here that we're going to take some time to small group in. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to answer all of them. There's a lot of questions here, but I want you to I want you to talk about at least two or three at least three questions. What is your oh I didn't talk about this. You could skip this question. What is your fig leaf? <laughs> okay, I'll I'll go over it briefly. You guys know what that means, right? Like in Genesis three. Um, they fell, they hid, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And that is shame. That's an area of shame. But then, Jesus, but then God comes and it says that he made garments of skin and he clothed them. And that word clothed means to cover. So, so God actually wants to cover you. He doesn't just want to expose you. He wants to, he wants to cover you. And so... What is your fig leaf? What is the area that you are afraid to show God or others? What in your life is so is offensive to Jesus? What area of your life has your heart hardened? Do you feel jealousy or comparison with someone else? Identify the lie that you are agreeing with and break that agreement. That's an orphan spirit. What area in your life do you need to experience the strength or hand of the Lord? Are you living all of your relationships like a deeply loved person? 
I want, I want everyone to answer that one. And so I'm just gonna put, I know it's 10 o'clock, but I wanna put like a two minute timer and just take some time to listen. Two minutes.